الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون The first question is whether death has an actual existence الموت is it something which exists or is it just the absence of life because sometimes when defining evil some people may say evil has no real existence it is just the absence of good but is this position correct the answer is the correct position according to ahl sunnah wal jamaa is that evil is an existent thing as well as death being something that exists allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in al-quran al-kareem tabarak alladhi biyadihi al-mulku wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir alladhi khalaq al-mawta wal hayata the one who created الذي خلق الموت والحياة ليبلوكم أيكم أحسن عملا the one who created death and life so this خلق الموت he created death means that death has an actual existence and this is why on the day of judgment the death meaning death itself shall be brought forth on the Day of Judgment in the form of a black ram. This is an existence that death has in the realm known as Alamul Mithal, the world of similitudes. Now in order to understand the subject of death and the hereafter, we need to understand the broader picture relating to man and the existence of man and his relationship to the universe, his existence on earth, and his duty on earth as well as his duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his creator. When the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam was asked regarding three questions in Makkah al-Mukarramah, in Makkah al-Mukarramah, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam pronounced his prophethood, announced his prophethood and the people who doubted him they went to the people of the previous scriptures those people of the previous scriptures included the Jews Al-Yahud so they went to the Jews of Al-Madinatul Munawwara at that time the city of Al-Madinatul Munawwara was known as Yathrib and when they approached the Jews, the Jews said, if he is a truthful prophet, he will answer two of three questions, and the third question he will not answer in detail. The three questions they asked. The first question related to a group of youth that fell asleep in a cave for 300 years. They asked regarding those sleepers. Now, the 
300 years was the 300 years of the solar calendar otherwise in the lunar calendar they fell asleep for 309 years that they remained in their cave for 300 years and others have added nine meaning 300 years of solar years and, three, uh, and an additional nine years of lunar years because every 100 years is, in, is 300 additional lunar years so 103 lunar years this was the first question the second question was relating to a ruler who ruled the east and the west meaning Sayyiduna Dhul Qarnayn even though some of the commentators went to the position of saying that the ruler was Alexander the uh, ruler of Macedonia but the, the more correct position is that Dhul Qarnayn was a ruler that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only knows the specific identity of a ruler who existed prior to that time of Alexander of, Ma of Macedonia this was the second question the third question related to the ruh a ruh the soul so this third question was the question that the Yahud said that he shall not answer meaning in detail Details shall not be given regarding this answer, this question. So, when the Mushrikeen, the polytheists of Mecca al-Mukarramah took this advice from the Yahud and posed these questions to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Kahf the entire chapter of Surah Al-Kahf. If you know that the revelation of Surah Al-Kahf was in one go, the entire chapter. There are some chapters of the Quran which were revealed in their entirety in one revelation. Surah Yusuf salam being another. Both chapters being Makki chapters, meaning chapters revealed in Makkah Al-Mukarramah. Surah Yusuf salam is chapter number 12 of Al-Quran Al-Kareem and Surah Al-Kahf is chapter number 18 of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Two of the three questions were answered in Surah Al-Kahf. The third question which related to the soul was answered in Surah Al-Isra, also known as Surah Bani Israel, which is chapter number 17 of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Of course, each chapter of the Quran has a rabt, a connection with the previous chapter. If someone studies the commentary of the Quran, they will realize that each chapter of the Quran has a rabt, a connection. One chapter is connected to the previous as well as the chapter that comes after it, in content and in theme. Likewise, the verses of Al-Quran Al-Kareem are related to one another, meaning the ordering of the Quran is not haphazard, it is not random. It is in accordance with the divine wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the question relating to the soul is answered in Surah Al-Isra because Surah Al-Isra 
also relates to the soul because the night journey of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa as well as being a physical journey, it was also a journey that involved the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa visiting the metaphysical realm, the world of the unseen. And the world of the unseen includes the world of the soul. Would mean say that the soul is min amri rabbi from the command of my Lord. What this means is alumul amr, the world of the command of the divine command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates to those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates without creating the intervention. So we have. Alamul Asbab that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates something and then with that thing creates another thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who creates at all times. But there are some things which are created without the creation of an, of an intermediary or an intervention. This relates to Alamul Amr, the world of the command. And this is the meaning of Kun Fayakun. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the command, things come into being. So the soul is from that realm. But this soul and the extraction of the soul from the physical body is what is called al-mawt, death. Meaning the separation of the soul from the body would entail death, the appearance of death. Does death have an existence? As I said, yes it does. Some people attempt to say, the absence of day is night. <clears throat> or the absence of heat is cold. But the reality is cold has an existence and night has an existence. Likewise, the absence of life would entail death, but death also has an existence. This soul comes from Alamul Arwah. The world of the souls. Now why did the Yahud, the Jews, know that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, would not answer that question in detail? Because from the previous scriptures they knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had not revealed detail regarding the soul. But nevertheless, if someone studies the Quran and the Sunnah, they will realize that the ilm that is described in the Quran given to us is described as qalila. Only a small amount of knowledge regarding the soul has been given to us. Even with this small amount, we have so much detail in the Quran and the Sunnah regarding the origins of humanity and where humanity is heading. The souls come from alamul arwah, the world of the souls. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the souls and said, Alastu bi rabbikum, am I not your Lord? Qalu bala. They said, of course. This occurred in Alamul Arwah, the world of the souls. That the souls were addressed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Alastu bi rabbikum, am I not your Lord? They said, Qalu bala. They said, of course. Now, the ruh does not have a mouth like the physical human body. So the ruh has its own form of communication, unique to the soul.
But the first letter spoken by the soul was the letter Ba. The letter Ba, and this is why the Quran starts with the letter Ba, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. To remind humanity when they recite Al Quranul Kareem, when they recite the Bismillah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, they recite the first letter that the soul pronounced. Ba, the letter Ba. So, this Alamul Arwah, the world of the souls, is where the soul is located prior to the soul being sent down to the womb of the woman. When a woman carries a child, the fetus grows within the womb of the woman and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dispatches an angel. ثُمَّ يُرْسَلُوا إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكُ The hadith of Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an states that at that time an angel is sent. What, where does the angel carry this soul from? This soul is taken from Alamul Arwah, the world of the souls. But where is Alamul Arwah located? In order to understand this, we need to understand firstly and correctly regarding the seven heavens. Commonly, people translate Jannah, paradise as heaven. But the correct translation of Al-Jannah is paradise. The plural of Al-Jannah being Al-Jinan. As-Samawat is the seven concentric circles that encompass the known universe. So if people travel out into the known galaxies and universe and into different universes that exist around us and continue traveling, they will get to a point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a metaphysical realm. What do we mean by metaphysical? The word meta means beyond and physical means the, the material world, meaning that which is beyond the material. When they pass space as we know it and space as we may not know it, they reach a point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a creation known as as-samawat, the seven heavens. These are seven concentric circles that surround the space and universes as we know them. The first heaven has a function and the function of the first heaven is that the first heaven contains al-arwah, the souls. Each heaven has a function. Above those seven heavens, there is Sidratul Muntaha, a creation which is described as the furthest lot. But and on the side of that, there is Jannah. Paradise is located on the right-hand side of Sidratul Muntaha. Understanding these concepts is important because when we discuss death and the journey of the soul, the journey of the soul relates to these realms that exist beyond our physical realm. So within the first heaven, Sama'ud dunya, if you go past the first heaven, there is Alamul Arwah, the world of the souls. 
when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam ascended in Laylatul Isra wal Mi'raj, the night journey and the ascension, Al Isra by the way means the night journey and Al Mi'raj means the ascension and ascended to the first heaven, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam observed Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam. Now this relates to the Barzakh also. Where is the physical body of Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam? The physical body of Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam is located in his grave. Yet Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam has a presence in the first heaven, meaning the soul. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the soul in such a way that the soul can be present in multiple places at one time. Even though the physical body of Sayyiduna Adam salam and all the Prophets salam, their physical bodies are in the graves at all times until the Day of Judgment. But the soul is such a being, a creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He wills, the soul can be present in multiple locations and this is why the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was able to gather with the Prophets والسلام, in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa on the night of Al-Isra. Of course, the journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj occurred at night time because the night represents the ghayb, the unseen, meaning the way the world of the unseen is something beyond our physical sights. Likewise, the night covers things. So the way the night covers things, the, the unseen world is also covered. This is why it is significant to note that the night journey of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam occurred at night. When the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam witnessed Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam in the first heaven, he saw Sayyiduna Adam salam, whenever he would turn his attention to the right hand side, he would see these illuminated souls ascending. Illuminated souls ascending. When Sayyiduna Adam salam, would look to the left, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam, saw souls that were darkened, meaning spiritually dark, descending. This observance of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa of this realm was the realm of the souls, Alamul Arwah. The hadith is narrated by Imam al-Bukhari. This is Alamul Arwah. And this is where the souls are located currently, meaning all the souls that shall come and arrive on earth in the future are all located in Alamul Arwah currently. So when a fetus is growing in the womb. In the hadith of Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the fourth hadith of the Arba'een, the fourth hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, Yahya bin Sharaf al-Nawawi rahimahullahu ta'ala, the hadith states that the angel is commanded to take the soul. Where does the angel take the soul from? From Alam al-Arwah. If the person is a believer, the soul is taken from the right hand side from where Sayyiduna Adam was seated. And if the soul 
is from the disbelievers, the soul is taken from the left hand side. Or to be more precise, if the soul is a soul that shall have salvation, it is taken from the right hand side. If it is a soul that shall be damned into hell forever, for eternity, then it is taken from the left hand side. This is the location of Alimul Arwah. So when the soul is placed in the womb, many of the scholars, they take the position that this occurs after the first four months. After the first four months of pregnancy, some of the scholars take this position that the soul is placed in the womb, into the fetus. This is why they say that Al-Idda, the waiting period of a woman when her husband dies, once her husband has died, the woman waits for how, how long? Four months and ten days. They say, why four months and ten days? Because of the possibility of pregnancy. And if she is pregnant, then it takes four months for the soul to be placed into the womb. When the soul is placed, there is an area at the top of the head of the fetus that we know that there is a soft hole at the top of the head. This hole at the top of the head, when a child is born, it facilitates birth. It facilitates birth for the child. But the soul is taken from Alamul Arwah and placed into this part. As soon as the soul is placed into the womb, into the fetus to be more precise, the child starts feeling pleasure and pain, meaning life is given. The first thing to be illuminated is what is the eyes. So after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that the child is formed in the womb, the first thing illuminated is the eyesight. The eyesight comes into the eyes of the child. And likewise, different organs of the child begin to work. The senses, sensory perception, hearing, all these things, meaning life is given. This is relevant to death. Why? Because the last point from which the soul is taken is also from the top of the head. Because the soul was placed from the top of the head, the last point from where the soul is taken is from the top of the head. Additional to this, you will note that the first thing to diminish from the senses will be the eyes. The first thing to diminish will be the eyes. And the last point from which the soul shall be taken is also the eyes. So the first thing that started to work for the human being was the eyes. And the last thing that will be removed or the last thing from which the soul shall be taken is also the eyes. This child then is given life in the womb. Four things are written down for this child. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for this child four things. Remember some people may say, if a person has choice in believing or disbelieving, then why is the soul taken from the illuminated souls for the believers and from the 
disobedient souls for the disbelievers. The answer to this is that this does not negate freedom of choice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having divine knowledge of what a person shall do or the choice a person shall make does not remove freedom of choice from that person. Freedom of choice remains. But four things are written down. Those four things relate firstly to rizq, sustenance. Meaning, what type of sustenance is given to this person? Now remember, sustenance relates to clothing, relates to food, relates to knowledge. Meaning, even rizq, the word rizq is inclusive of knowledge. How much knowledge shall the person have? But also ma'arif spiritual illumination and spiritual knowledge also is a, is a part of rizq. This is all ordained for him. The meaning of al-qada and al-qadr. Al-qada is the divine knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preordained for every human being. The meaning of al-qadr is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has proportioned those things for every human being. Meaning, if it is written for Zayd, in his lifetime he shall eat 40,000 japatis. And this, 40, this number of 40,000 japatis is al-qada, the divine judgment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But al-qadr is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained for him, on Monday he shall consume four japatis on tuesday only two will reach him on wednesday only three shall reach reach him this is with the divine will of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is a story of a woman who was known as ummu fadl um fadl would every day give money to beggars who would beg outside her door and she was rich very rich woman two beggars one beggar would ask min give me for the sake and virtue of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the other would ask give me min fadli um fadl give me by the virtue of Um Fadl. So Um Fadl, hearing this, every day she would give two dirhams to the man who would ask Min Fadlillah. And she would give every day to the man who would ask Min Fadli Um Fadl. She would have a chicken made, a roast chicken, and she would place 10 dirhams inside of the chicken and two loaves of bread. So if he had consumed the chicken, he would find 10 dirhams inside of the chicken. But on receiving the chicken, the man would look at the chicken and he would think, my friend is receiving more than I am. So he would say to his friend, buy this chicken from me for two dirhams. The friend would agree. So the friend would give him two dirhams and take the chicken and the two loaves of bread. And he would go home, feed his family the chicken and the two loaves of bread. And at the end of the meal, 
they would find, meaning he had numerous children, he would find 10 dirhams additional to the chicken and take the 10 dirhams. After a while, Um Fadl inquired. She said to the beggar who was asking by the virtue of Um Fadl, she inquired, how do you find what I am giving you? Meaning the chicken with the, uh, the chicken with the two loaves of bread. He said, my friend receives more, so I, every day I sell the chicken to him. From this Um Fadl re realized, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not ever dominated regarding his command. Meaning if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for you something, sustenance, then that sustenance shall reach you. So when the fetus is being formed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the angels to write down the sustenance of that child. So everything that is written for us, shall reach us la mahala meaning there is no turning away from this whatever clothing has been preordained for us allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and if someone believes that they can change the divine plan of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is totally incorrect because whatever allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preordained will occur the other three things that are written down is the lifespan of the individual. So his rizq and then his lifespan. Additional to that, his actions. Additional to that, his actions. Meaning good deeds or bad deeds. And the fourth thing, shaqiyun am sa'id. This last sentence means, is he from the wretched people of the hellfire or is he from the people of paradise? Meaning, where is he destined to go to paradise or to hellfire? Of course, this does not negate free will because the person carries this out by freedom of choice. All it means is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows with the divine knowledge that this person shall make the choices of the people of hellfire or make the choices of the people of paradise. Of course, this choice that a person makes can be exemplified in an example that they give regarding two brothers. There were two brothers. One brother outwardly all his life performed the actions of a pious person, meaning praying his five daily prayers and additional acts of worship while his brother was a transgressor, his brother would transgress against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One day, the brother who was a transgressor awoke from an intoxicating sleep, meaning after having taken intoxicants, alcohol, and committing all types of different sins, he found his trousers to be wet with urine, and he realized his disgraced position, his disgraced state, and he decided to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He thought to himself that maybe I should do what my brother does. At the same time, his brother in the upstairs room, his ego or his desires to be more precise overwhelmed him. When his 
desires overwhelmed him, his soul whispered to him that for so long you have been restricting yourself with the Sharia, the commands of the Sharia, you have not been able to enjoy yourself. Why do you not enjoy yourself and fulfill your desires and join your brother and then at a later time repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So he decided, meaning his desires overwhelmed him. He decided to go downstairs to join his brother in sinning. On the way down from the stairs, he stumbled. While his brother was coming up, when he stumbled, he fell on his brother. Both of them fell down the stairs, a flight of stairs and died. The brother who was ascending the stairs was forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though all his life he had been sinning. And the brother who had fallen, who had been performing acts of worship outwardly, but now decided to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was punished. Why? Because of the intention. But what occurred at the end? The answer is that the hadith of Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an states that someone may do the actions of paradise, the people of paradise outwardly until there is nothing between him and paradise except an arm's length. Then the divine decree overwhelms him. When the decree overwhelms him, he does the actions of the people of hellfire and enters hellfire. Why does he enter hellfire? Because those actions that he did outwardly were in reality for ulterior motives. Meaning, the niyyah, the intention was never for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if the intention of the acts is never for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will eventually happen is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring out the intention of the person by decreeing that the person does an action which is in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in accordance with the intention of the heart of the person. So always keep the intention correct and always for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the actions of a person are written down. His time of death is also written down. Now what this entails is that if Zayd decides to kill Bakr, Zayd one day gets a knife and decides to kill Bakr. When he goes, he stabs Bakr, but Bakr does not die. Why does he not die? Because even though Zayd may have stabbed Bakr and even punctured the heart, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that he do, his soul not be removed at that point. So this occurs in Alamul Asbab, the world of means. Meaning, outwardly, Bakr when stabbed, he will be bleeding, but medics will take care of him. Or the outward means of the worldly means, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will maintain his life by creating those means for life. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees for Bakr to die, then the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would determine the death of Bakr even without Bakr being stabbed, meaning the soul will be removed. The world of means is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. 
But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not decreed for the death of an individual, then the death of that individual will not occur. So the decree entails that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates the means by which the death of that person occurs. The means can be uh, the, a murderer, a murderer who carries out the action, or a car accident, or anything else, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees. For instance, even if someone decided to hang themselves, when they hang themselves, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that the soul is not to be taken out, the person may even hang from a ceiling, but the soul is not being taken out. Read, read about Rasputin, Rasputin who influenced the Tsar of Russia, a magician they say. At the time of his death, people conspired to kill him. They strangled him, they stabbed him, they shot him with a gun numerous times, but he would not die until eventually they may have hacked him to death and then he died. But that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeping the soul in Rasputin for as long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed. So the time of death of someone is written. And the fourth thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala determines whether that person is shaqiyun or sa'idun. Shaqiyun means from the wretched people of hellfire or from those people who will reach salvation and enter paradise. These four things are written down. Where are they written? They are written on the forehead, on the hands, and in, in the unknown world where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places this on the unaq, on the unaq on the neck, this will be witnessed on the day of judgment in the unseen realm. With regard to a death, we know that there is something known as husnul khatima. What is husnul khatima? A good death. And there is something known as su'ul khatima. A bad death. A Muslim should always pray and supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him husnul khatima, a good death. What are the asbab, the means by which a person has su'ul khatima, a bad death? Some of them that are mentioned, one is at tahawun bi salah, is laziness in establishing the prayer. Remember, if you find it difficult to pray, then increase. As Imam Muhammad bin Yusuf al-Sanusi mentions, increase in the dhikr, the remembrance of La ilaha illallah. Increasing in the remembrance of La ilaha illallah revives the heart and removes the laziness from prayer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ that came after them a generation that wasted away the prayers and they followed their desires. So the desires are one of the main things by which people become lazy in prayer. But at tahawun bi salah, meaning abandoning the salah or being lazy in salah, is one of the reasons of su'ul khatima, a bad death. Waliyadu billah. Another one is uququl walidain, meaning disobeying parents. Disobeying parents falls under those reasons by which a person may 
have a bad death. In the time of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a young man was, on the, was suffering from the pangs of imminent death. But he was unable to pronounce the shahada, the testimony of faith. They exhorted him to recite. He said, I am unable to recite. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, why are you unable to recite? He said, my mother is upset with me. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa summoned his mother. When his mother arrived, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said to her, if we <coughs> stoked a fire, meaning we, we made a fire, and we placed your son in the fire, would you intercede for your son? She said, yes. He said, you should intercede for your son from the fire of hell. So she forgave her son, and then he was able to pronounce the shahada, the testimony of faith. Meaning, walidain, disobeying parents, is one of the reasons of su'ul khatima, about death. This is why, if someone kisses the hand of their teacher, and kisses the hand of their shaykh, their guide, their spiritual leader, they are also obligated to kiss the hands of their parents. If they stand up out of respect for their teacher and out of respect for their spiritual guide, they are also obligated to stand up for their parents. Even if their parents are non-Muslims, they are obligated to venerate their parents. The only thing they disobey parents on is regarding belief and disbelief and the sharia the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They disobey them on that, but disobeying does not mean saying a harsh word or being rude to them. No, you disobey politely. Likewise, the person must obey his parents in all worldly affairs. All worldly affairs, they must obey, obey their parents. So, uqooqul walidain is another reason. Additional to this, a third reason of a su'ul khatima, a bad death, is shurbul khamar, drinking alcohol. And drinking alcohol has been called ummul khaba'ith, the mother of all repugnant vices. That drinking alcohol is also a reason for su'ul khatima. In one hadith, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa pinpointed two specific sins that lead to a bad death. One of them is zina, fornication and adultery, and the other is drinking alcohol. With regard to zina, fornication and adultery, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا Do not approach zina, do not even go near it. Meaning avoid those things which even lead to zina. Avoid even those things which may entice a person to zina, meaning fornicating or adultery. And this is where the divine command of hijab, availing between men, men and women, this is why this command has been given. وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً That this is an act which is a vice. فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا 
and a bad way of releasing the desire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited zina. But the distinction between zina and alcohol is that with alcohol, the vice of alcohol or the, the bad effect of alcohol in society is apparent to the observer. With regard to zina, a person needs to think regarding the outcome of zina. The outcome of zina is what? Wherever zina, fornication and adultery becomes widespread, diseases like AIDS and HIV will become rampant. The birth of illegitimate children will become rampant when every child has the right to know the identity of his or her father. So with illegitimate children being born, so many children are raised without knowing who their father was. Likewise, in some cases it leads to abortion. And in some cases, infanticide where women are killing children. And in places which are poverty stricken, like in Africa, parts of Africa, there are women who would throw the child into a river. And in some places, they abandon the child at an orphanage or in a village. So this is all the result of zina which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated an nikah. This is why the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, an nikah sunnati, that the nikah marriage is my way, meaning prophetic way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited zina for all these multiple reasons, as well as the fact that adultery leads to bloodshed and fighting. So alcohol and zina are two reasons of su'ul khatima, a bad death. A fourth reason is idha'ul muslimin, <coughs> harming other Muslims. That by harming other Muslims, this can also lead to a bad death, su'ul khatima. Two additional reasons of su'ul khatima, one is in the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, مَنْ عَادَلِي وَلِيًّا فَقَدْ آذَنْتُهُ بِالْحَرْبِ Whoever harms a friend of mine, then divine permission is given regarding war against him. Meaning, a person who harms those who are the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An additional reason to that is riba, consuming riba. That riba, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says riba is interest, usually based transactions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, min Allahi wa That give permission is then given, fa'dhanu, meaning if you eat and consume riba, fa'dhanu, then you are giving permission to harb from war, min Allahi wa rasulihi. A war from Allah and His Messenger, riba. So, these are some of the reasons of su'ul khatima, a bad ending. So how does a person avoid su'ul khatima? Is by avoiding these sins. Meaning, observing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, muraqaba, uh, observing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and muhasaba, taking our actions into account on a daily basis. When we observe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our transactions, and we do muhasaba of our actions, 
taking our actions into account on a daily basis, this is something which will facilitate a good husnul khatima, a good ending. So, a person who spends his life, he becomes mukallaf at the age of when he reaches maturity. But death is something which comes about where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then sends malakul maut. There are 10 angels that every Muslim should know in detail, meaning regarding their basic identity and who they are. For instance, Jibra'il alayhi salam, Israfil alayhi salam, likewise Mikail alayhi salam, likewise Al-Munkar wa Nakir, the two angels of the grave, Al-Raqib wa Al-Atid, the angels who write down the deeds on the right and left side. The deeds are such a thing that when you intend to do a good deed, the angel on the right writes down one good deed by just your intention. When we say write down, it does not entail a notepad like the way we have notepads in this world. No, it relates to a reality which is beyond this physical realm. Like in previous times, when people would use the word tablet or pad, they would refer to a tablet meaning made from, uh, from stone, a tablet made from stone or a pad made from paper. Now when people use the same word, they, they mean something else. But likewise, some of the words in the Quran have the same word as those things in this world, but the reality of those things is different to those things in this world. So the angel writes down one good deed. When you carry out the good deed, then the angel writes down 10 good deeds. Later on, those 10 good deeds are multiplied by 700. Likewise, when a person intends a bad deed, the angel does not write down any bad deed. When the person carries out the bad deed, the angel waits for six hours before writing down the bad deed. Why? in case the person may repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, if you repent in that time, no bad deed is written. The Quran states that surely good deeds make bad deeds go away. So also the good deeds will erase any bad deeds. So the two angels that write this down are referred to as Al-Raqibu and Al-Atidu. Like this, there are 10 angels, which every Muslim should know in detail. Like there are 25 prophets mentioned in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, that every Muslim should know in detail. 25 prophets in the Quran, and 10 angels. One of those angels is Malakul Maut, the angel of death. In some narrations, he is referred to as Sayyiduna Israel, meaning the angel of death. But some people rejected this. They said that the name is from Israelite reports, but the correct position is this is permitted because the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Hadithu an Bani Israel wa la haraj, wa man kathaba aliyya muta'amidan falyatabawwa maqa'adahu min al-nar. Relate from the children of Israel there is wala no, haraj, meaning there is nothing wrong with this as long as it does not contradict the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
وَمَنْ كَذَبَ عَلِيَّ And whoever lies upon me, mutaammidan purposefully, then let him take his seat in hellfire. So, Malakul Mawt, alayhi salam, observes the known universe and the creation within the known universe in such a way, the way a person observes a bowl of seeds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs Malakul Mawt of, of what souls shall be taken when. Of course, the detail of this is given on the, on the night of mid-Sha'ban, Nisfu Sha'ban. On the 15th of Sha'ban, the details of this, the souls and what souls shall be removed. So, whether our soul was determined to be taken on the previous mid-Sha'ban, we do not know. Of course, sometimes a person has information regarding the imminent death. This can happen for pious people. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may inform them what, via dreams or via visions or in any other way. But the common way is that one of the previous prophets inquired from Malakul Mawt that why did you not send any messengers? The angel of death said, I did send messengers. What were those messengers? The graying of the hair, the crooked back, the back becoming crooked. As well as this, additional to this, the illness of the body. Any ailment of the body is a messenger from the angel of death, Malakul Mawt. So these are messages sent to us by the angel of death on a regular basis. As well as observing creation that there are people dying. Sometimes they die due to sudden death. But sometimes they, they are given a chance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to repent. Meaning, if a person is afflicted with cancer, this is a chance for him to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or a brain tumor or anything else. Meaning sometimes a person may have a brain tumor that may have reached a stage they have these stages, stage one, stage two. It may have reached a stage where the person is told by the doctors that he shall pass away. But he is functioning on a daily basis. That person now has an opportunity to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To make amends in his life. Of course, some people may die of sudden death. So these are messages of death which a person is given. This worldly life that we have has periods. We have childhood and then from childhood we reach adolescence. From adolescence to adulthood. From adulthood what they term as shaykhukha, old age. These are periods in which when a person reaches 40, something occurs with the mind. Al-Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali mentions that something occurs with the mind at the age of 40, that a person after the age of 40 will find it difficult to change. Meaning, change after the age of 40 is an uphill struggle. So before the age of 40, a person should attempt to make that change. As Sheikh Muhammad al-Arabi, rahimullah ta'ala, one of the shiukh of Damascus, he died at the age of 120. 
He was a person of Ahlul Kashf, people of who have unveilings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you went to him and mentioned the name of an individual, he would close his eyes and then he would tell you everything that is wrong with the individual in terms of illness or jinn possession or magic. This was a knowledge given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he was asked, how did you reach the age of 120? He would attend the masjid al-jami' al-umawi at the age of, past the age of 110. And he would pray prior to the fajr adhan being given, the call to prayer being given. Pray fajr, uh, the tahajjud and then he would pray in the masjid. So they asked, how were you able to do this? He said, We preserved our salah in our young age and it preserved us in our old age. Nowadays people make pension plans and when they make pension plans, they look at the material needs that they will need in their old age. But we are young and in our young age, before we reach the age of 40, we should make our pension plan, why I mentioned the age of 40, is Ahlul Madina in the old times, the people of Al Madina Tul Munawwara, they would work from the age of 20 to the age of 40 ardently with effort, earning money. When they would reach 40, they would retire for ibadah in Al Masjid Al Nabawi. So the age of retirement was 40. Why early retirement? Because they realized the age after the age of 40, ibadah worship will be an uphill struggle. So change occurs prior. Also the effect of sinning is such that the less you sin, the less problems you will have. One companion of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was walking and his eye fell inappropriately upon a woman. He continued looking and he walked into a branch. The branch poked his eye. He went to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and informed him. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to him that this was a punishment for you on earth. Meaning the punishment was hastened. So, likewise, the sins that we may do, those sins have an effect on earth. There is a famous text known as Matnu Abi Shuja' that is taught in the school of Imam Muhammad bin Idris Shafi'i rahimallahu ta'ala by an author by the, who goes by the agnomen Kunya Abu Shuja'. He lived up to the age of 180. 90 years of his life, he spent studying and teaching, 90 years, in a masjid in Al-Basra. When he reached the age of 90, he retired. And he moved to Al-Madinatul Munawwara. When he reached Al-Madinatul Munawwara, he became a servant in the masjid of, of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What he would do is, uh, roll the rugs, place 
oil in the lamps, clean anything that needs cleaning. And he served in the masjid of the Messenger of Allah until he reached the age of 180, meaning 90 years he lived additional, 180 years. This, of course, is a rare occurrence because most of the, the ages of the Muslims is between 60 and 70. Majority of people pass away between 60 and 70. By the way, a sheikh, uh, some of you may find this difficult to believe, but uh, for instance, a sheikh al-Arabi, he passed away at the age of 120, I met him. Likewise, a sheikh Ahmad Habbal passed away at the age of 108 or the age of 109. Like this, there, there were numerous other shiuch who outlived many of their contemporaries. So Abu Shuja is one of those rarities who lived up to the age of 120. When he reached the age of 180, he had no illnesses, no weakness. They asked him, how did you reach such an age without any illness or any weakness? He said, I never disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with this body. Meaning the effect of that was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed barakah blessings in his health, that his health was preserved up to the age of 180. So, the actions that we do have an effect in our worldly life as well as in our, our hereafter. When Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu an became ill in the Khilafah Caliphate of Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an, Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an went to visit him. He said, let me call you a doctor, a tabib. He said, that the one who cures is the one who made me ill, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, let me leave you some wealth. Sayyiduna Abdullah, bin, meaning Sayyiduna Abdullah had only daughters. And Sayyiduna Abdullah said, why do I need to leave them wealth when I, when I have taught them to recite Suratul Waqi'ah every night? Because he heard from the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, whoever recites Suratul Waqi'ah every night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never afflict him with poverty. By the way, in one uh, narration, it is mentioned that whenever you enter your house, if you recite Suratul Ikhlas three times, meaning, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Qul Allahu Ahad, that chapter of the Quran three times, with Bismillah, then you, poverty and debt is removed from that house. Poverty and debt. But it is not only removed from that house, it is also removed from the neighbors of that house. And when they say neighbors, it means 40 doors on the right and 40 doors on the left. What does this entail? This entails that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within this realm, creates means by which a person can live and sustain himself. Meaning someone may say, I recite Suratul Ikhlas, I recite Suratul Waqi'ah, it doesn't bring me food or money or wealth. The answer is what this entails is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make ease and facilitate the means by which your sustenance shall reach you. Meaning we are obliged to go and work 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who creates the asbab, the means. So death, when death approaches an individual, when are the scrolls of an, of an individual folded and the actions are no longer written down? Some of the scholars say, as soon as the person is able to see the angel of death. This is the position of many of the Shafi'i scholars and the Ash'ari scholars. They say that as soon as the person is able to see the angel of death, but many of the Hanafi and Maturidi scholars take the position that even at that time the actions are counted. Even at the time of seeing the angel of death. What legal ruling does this entail? The legal ruling that this entails is that if you are in a state of wudu, ablution, when you are in a state of ablution, you observe the angel of death, what are you able to do? If I observe the angel of death now and I, and I have ablution, I can go into prayer straight away. Quickly turn around, meaning if I was observing the angel of death now coming to take my soul, I would jump off the mimbar quickly, face the qibla and do Allahu Akbar. And my prayer would be counted and I die in the state of prayer. But according to some of the schools, the, that prayer would be not counted, even though outwardly I may die in the state of prayer. There are some scholars who there is a particular scholar in our age who was wounded with shrapnel and blood was coming out of his mouth facing the pangs of death he told his grandchild to place him on the ground at the time of death in order that he fulfilled the sajda and he died in sajda in prostration of course he was a shafi'i scholar so the blood does not invalidate his ablution but this person was observing the angel of death so at the time of the soul being removed, this is the end of the person's life. And like I said, the soul is firstly taken from the foot, removed from the toes, initially from the toes. This is why when we go into ruku', bowing in prayer, we observe the toes. Why? Because the toes will be the first thing to stop moving. Observe any person who dies, you will notice the first thing to stop moving is the feet. Then the soul is taken out throughout the body until it reaches the throat. This is the position of another group of scholars that when the soul starts being removed from the throat, this is the point where the angels do not write down, they stop writing down the actions. Then if you observe a person dying, you will notice that the eyes will roll up a roll upwards and the person will look upwards. Why? Because the soul is being removed from the eyes and they are observing upwards until the sight is removed. Now they are witnessing with the soul. And the last point from which the soul is taken is from the top of the head. Then the soul is taken out and the body is dead. This is the creation of death. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends the angel of death and the angel of death removes the soul and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates death for that soul. What transpires with the soul now? This soul 
that had come from Alamul Arwah, the world of the souls, placed in the womb, lived its life in this world, contained within the chamber of the body, while contained in the chamber of the body, the body itself was composed of earthly things, meaning the soil is earthly. Someone may say, how are we made from soil? The response is that the food that you eat comes from the ground. Vegetables, fruit, even the meat that you eat is made from what? Where do the sheep and the cows that we consume graze upon? What do they graze upon? They graze upon grass. Grass comes from the ground. So everything comes from the ground. Our physical material body is made from soil. So this body has its needs. What are those needs? The needs for sleep, the need for sleeping, the need for uh, eating and drinking, and so many other needs. Those needs are fulfilled within the parameters of Sharia. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated a law for the physical body, a Sharia, that a person is bounded to until they die. In fact, even after they die, because the body after death is buried according to Sharia. The shroud is according to Sharia. The distribution of wealth is according to Sharia. Sharia overlooks the worldly material needs of people. This is why the Khilafah, the Caliphate, is a governance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated at the hands of His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for the worldly material needs of human beings. This is why when Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu he employed a man and the man entered into the presence of Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu was lying down and his young children were jumping on his stomach, playing on his stomach. The man condemned this action. He condemned the action because this is Amirul Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers, lying down and his young children are playing on his stomach and he's allowing them to do so. Sayyiduna Umar inquired that how do you treat your children? The man said, when I enter the house, everyone goes silent. And everyone is obedient. Sayyiduna Umar had the man dismissed from a government post. When he was asked, why did you have the man dismissed from a government post? He said, the one who does not have mercy on his own family, he will not have mercy on the nation of the Messenger of Allah The point being that Sharia is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our material needs. But the ruh, the soul, has come from alamul arwah, from the world of souls. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us regarding the ruh also and its needs. This is why the Quran states, Ala Behold, bidhikrillah with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, The hearts, meaning al-qulub, why the heart is mentioned is because like the intellect mainly resides well, in fact, resides in the brain. If someone removes the brain, they will find a, a tissue 
but what resides inside of that brain when it is active is the intellect. Likewise in the eyes, what resides in the eyes is eyesight. The heart is where the soul resides, the ruh. And the need of the ruh is dhikrullah, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it is removed from dhikrullah, then there are emotional and psychological problems which a person may feel. So when the soul is removed, this soul now <coughs> is entering back into the realm of the unseen. It has come from alamul arwah and it is going back into the realm of the unseen. What does the soul experience? Initially, of course, the pains of death is something, a natural process that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates at every point. Meaning, the pain is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates. But should we fear death? The answer is never. A Muslim, a mu'min, does not fear his death. He fears his bad actions and the result of his bad actions. So before facing those bad actions, now while we have the chance, a person should rectify those bad actions that he may be doing and stop doing those things. Meaning, if you do muhasaba, take into account your bad actions, observe those actions which have the worst effect in your life and avoid those actions for 40 days. Or avoid that one action for 40 days. Why? Because what is considered a habit is anything you do regularly. But if you avoid a habit for 40 days, it will no longer be counted as a habit. Meaning you have broken a habit. Someone is addicted to alcohol. They drink alcohol. They cannot stop. If they stop drinking for 40 days, they are no longer an alcoholic. 40 days. They do not need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, a famous cult therapy group. No, they can stop drinking for 40 days. If they stop drinking for 40 days, they have broken that habit. Now even if they go back, they will notice that when they go back, the habit of drinking alcohol would have decreased. And incrementally, and eventually the habit will be abolished totally, insha'Allah, with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one sin. Likewise, all these different sins we may be carrying out, a person should eventually remove those sins. Why? Because in preparation for death, and in order to feed the soul with the dhikrullah. Now the sweetness of ibadatullah, there is a sweetness from worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That sweetness is something which a person must maintain. Why is it removed? Sometimes people, when they start practicing Islam, being active in practicing Islam, they feel a sweetness in their actions. But afterwards, they feel that sweetness decreasing. Why is the sweetness decreasing? The response is, the sweetness of those actions is decreasing because they, have, they are committing certain types of sins by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing them now by removing the sweetness of that worship. 
Meaning, the worship and the sweetness of the worship is also a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By carrying out certain sins, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes that sweetness. So in order to retain that sweetness, a person must avoid certain types of sins. So now that this soul has been taken out by Malakul Mawt, and the person, the soul is taken out and he is observing the realm of the unseen. In the realm of the unseen, the person may observe the angels. The, remember, Malakul Mawt has helper angels who accompany him. This realm of the angels is Alamul Malaika, the realm of the angels. But especially and specifically, the person is observing the angels that are helping and supporting Malakul Mawt. The soul is removed. Of course, many of the hadith and narrations that are mentioned by people to terrify them regarding the pangs of death relate to the ahadith pertaining to disbelievers and the pain that they suffer at the time of death. But the soul of a believer, when it is taken out, the angel ascends with the soul. Where does it ascend? It ascends up to Sama'ud Dunya. What is Sama'ud Dunya? Sama'ud Dunya is the first level plane from which the Samawat start, the heavens start. It is beyond the known galaxies and universes. We know Stephen Hawking attempted to make a multiverse model and numerous other models are proposed in modern physics. But those uh, models lead to circular reasoning. But beyond the known universes and galaxies, <clears throat> there is a creation known as a samawat. The first is samaud dunya. Samaud dunya is that which faces the material world. That which faces the material world, every human being has a door. A door which is located in Sama'ud dunya. What a, mean, we may use the word door, but does it mean a wooden door that a person opens? Of course not. It entails a realm. The word may be the same, a door, but it, it, it entails something beyond that which we can conceive on this earth. From that door, anything relating to the human being, meaning his good actions ascend from there, into the door. Meaning ascend from earth into the door. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ يَرْفَعُهُ That to him ascend the pure words. وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ The good actions. يَرْفَعُهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises those actions. Meaning those actions are raised. They go up. When the soul is taken up, it is taken up to that door. Every believer has a door which is located in that realm. The divine commands relating to that individual also descend from that door. Meaning, if there is a divine command relating to Zaid on earth, the effect of that divine command we shall observe on earth, but the command has, come, has arrived from that door. This, the similitude of this 
is like the head. Uh, when we think of, if I think of moving my arm, when I am moving my arm, that the command has come from the head. But you do not see any, you do not observe the command from my head moving to the arm. All you see is the arm moving. Likewise, the heavenly plane has the divine commands. When they occur on earth, we do not observe the order coming down in a physical way. No, it's beyond our sight. So, when the soul is taken up to this door, the angels waiting at this, in this realm inquire regarding the soul. If the soul is the soul of a disbeliever, the angels order that the soul be removed and sent to an area called Sijin. Now, where is Sijin located? Like I mentioned that there are seven concentric circles which are known as Asamawat below planet Earth. Meaning, firstly the central point of planet Earth is the Kaaba, Al-Kaabatul Musharrafa. Not the North Pole. The North Pole is a human concept because the North Star changes every few thousand years, meaning it changes its polar shift. But the fixated central point of planet Earth is Al-Kaabatul Musharrafa. If someone travels underneath the Kaaba and they go through the Kaaba into the Earth, travel out of the globe onto the other end and they go into space and they travel for millions of light years only which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the distance of they will reach a sixth earth-like planet from that planet if they go out from the central bottom point into space and travel for millions of years they will reach a fifth earth-like planet like this from the fifth planet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ الْأَرْضِ مِثْلَهُنْ and like, and like the earth, مِثْلَهُنْ Like there are seven heavens, there are seven earths. Some of the commentators took the position that the seven earths refers to seven layers of the earth. Some of the commentators of the Qur'an take this position. But some of the ulama take the position of seven earth-like planets. When you reach the, the most lowest, the lowest, the most lower earth-like planet at the bottom and then travel out again into space for millions of light years, only the distance of which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows, you reach the current location of Jahannam, hellfire, the current location of hellfire. Because on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall bring paradise and hellfire onto the plains of the Day of Judgment. When paradise is brought close. And also regarding hellfire. When the hellfire is refueled, meaning an additional fueling. The position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that paradise and hellfire have an existence right now. The Mu'tazila, they took a different divergent opinion. They took the opinion that paradise shall be created on the Day of Judgment 
and hellfire shall be created on the day of judgment. But the correct position is that they already exist. So the location of hellfire, in that hellfire, there is an area known as Sijin. So the souls of the disbelievers are placed in Sijin. So the soul shall be thrown from the door of the heavens down past all these earth-like planets. Meaning this distance is relative. We all studied relativity. Time in the unseen realm is relative. So something that we deem as a second could be a billion years in that realm. This would explain how the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such that a Muslim could be forgiven in a second. Meaning he may experience something in that realm that for him the experience may have seemed like a billion years but on earth it was a second. So he's literally forgiven in a second. One of our friends, Sidi Abdul Qadir al-Ayman rahimahullah ta'ala, who was someone who accepted Islam in his 20s and he, he remained Muslim for over 40 years. He passed away on the day of Battle of Badr, on the 17th of the uh, Battle of Badr. And of course this was a nisbah, meaning he had a link to uh, the people of Badr because he spent time in Palestine, he spent time in Afghanistan, and he was also a journalist, he went as a journalist. And he, he was shot in one leg as a journalist. He was sending back reports to support the Muslim resistance against the Israeli occupiers. He died on the day of the Battle of Badr in Ramadan. After he died, someone close to myself saw him in a dream. They said to him in the dream, what have you gone through? What have you undergone? He said, Muslims on earth, meaning when he had left planet earth, meaning Muslims he knew, underestimate the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was a real dream. So the intense mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a believer. So the soul of the believer is taken up to the doors of Sama'ud dunya. If his actions are such actions that they were being accepted and were ascending, then the angels will give permission for him to enter the doors of the samawat, the heavens, so he can observe the kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his soul. If however, he was a Muslim, he died on iman, on faith, but his actions are weak, the angels, the guardian angels will say his soul must wait. So at that point, his soul waits in fada, meaning in space, in that region, in that location. But what happens to the soul that ascends? Firstly, it ascends through the seven heavens. And what does it see and observe in the seven heavens? Firstly, it will enter the first heaven and observe Alamul Arwah very quickly. Then enter the second heaven, then the third, then the fourth, each heaven has a task, meaning the third heaven for instance, 
is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates dreams. So, aside from dreams, many other things descend from the third heaven. But one of them is the creation of dreams, meaning true dreams. And this is where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam met Sayyiduna Yusuf salam. Why was it important that he met Sayyiduna Yusuf salam at, at this location? Because Sayyiduna Yusuf salam was the master dream interpreter. So when a believer sees a dream that is true and the signs of a true dream is that that dream occurs at correct times like the time before Fajr prayer, the dawn prayer. From after Isha all the way up to Fajr prayer. This is a correct time. Likewise, after sunrise up to midday. And after midday up to the late noon prayer, Asr prayer. These are the three correct times when true dreams may occur. Of course, sometimes these vivid dreams people may have may occur due to the dietary factors. For instance, if you eat cheddar cheese, if you eat some cheddar cheese before going to sleep, you will see vivid dreams. Try this. Eat some cheddar cheese, you will see certain dreams that are vivid. This is an effect of a food. But this is why the dream interpreter only interprets one out of every 40 dreams. Why? Because the master dream interpreter takes into account numerous things regarding the dreamer, like his diet, his lifestyle, what time he may have witnessed the dream, and other factors. Those who have knowledge of dream interpretation uh, would know regarding this, not only from books, meaning it's ilm ladunni, a knowledge given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This realm that the person has entered is known as alamul mithal, the world of similitudes. Now this alamul mithal is so huge, the example of alamul mithal is such that the way you have a child, a fetus in the womb, when that child is born, how huge is this universe in comparison to the womb? Very large. Likewise, when the soul leaves this body, the world that the soul is witnessing now is so huge, the similitude is like the child leaving the womb into this world, the soul going into that world is also experiencing something greater. In fact, Alamul Mithal is the largest creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, you have the Arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also. But that is included in the metaphysical realm that the person is observing. Whatever they are observing. So when the soul passes through these seven heavens, it reaches a point of reaching Sidratul Muntaha. On the right hand side of Sidratul Muntaha is located Al Jannah Paradise. Within Paradise is an area known as Illiyun. The soul is then deposited within Illiyun. The soul is placed within Illiyun. 
Now, they have some disagreement regarding the souls of disbelievers. Some of the scholars say that the souls are placed in an area in Yemen, the disbelievers' souls. And others have said that the believers' souls are placed in the black stone. But the correct position is that they are placed, the souls of the believers are placed in Iliyun and the souls of the disbelievers are placed in Sijin. Now the human being is dead on earth. What occurs is a reconnection between the soul and the body. The connection may be weak. The connection is not the same as it was before. When we observe the body, we observe a dead body. But the body nevertheless has a weak connection with the soul. So whatever the soul may be experiencing, it has a connection with the body. Likewise, whatever the body will experience, the soul will experience. And this is known as barzakh. Why is this referred to as barzakh? And is barzakh referred to in Al-Quran Al-Karim? Firstly, the word barzakh refers to a barrier. بَيْنَهُمَا بَرْزَخٌ لَا يَبْغِيَانِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two types of seas. بَيْنَهُمَا بَرْزَخٌ لَا يَبْغِيَانِ These two seas have a barrier and they do not intermingle. They do not submerge. Likewise, وَمِن وَرَائِهِمْ بَرْزَخٌ إِلَى يَوْمِ يُبْعَثُونَ And ahead of them, meaning the people ahead of them. وَمِن وَرَائِهِمْ وَرَائِهِمْ means ahead. وَرَائِهِمْ can mean behind, but here it means ahead. Barzakhun ila yawmi yub'athun To the day that when they shall be resurrected. There is a barzakh. So why is this called a barrier situation? Because on earth we are observing the dead body. And what we are observing is some of the human being. But the rest of that human being is in, in an unseen world. So the person is bain a bain. He is in barzakh, meaning he is in between two worlds. His body, his physical body is in this realm, but his soul has ascended to the other realm. So this is referred to as barzakh. This world of the barzakh now, the person experiences numerous things. For instance, sometimes before dying, what is mentioned by Imam Jalaluddin, Abdul Rahman al-Suyuti rahimahullah ta'ala is that sometimes the angels appear in the form of birds and they smell the forehead, the hands and the knees and the feet. Why do they do this? Meaning outwardly if someone were to observe them they would think they are smelling but they are not smelling. They are observing and checking if the person has any good deeds. If he has good deeds, they know that the soul shall be taken out and extracted with rift, meaning with subtlety. But if they know the soul has no good deeds, they will extract the soul with severity. These are things that the angels observe. Likewise, when the, the body is placed in the grave, and the person 
is experiencing this, we know from the hadith in the Bukhari that the person hears the footsteps of the people walking away from his grave. What does the person experience in the grave? They experience firstly the questioning of Al-Munkar and Al-Nakir. Now, if someone were to excavate the grave, if they were to excavate the grave or if someone were to place People make these suggestions nowadays, especially when I debate atheists. They say if we placed a camera into the grave, would we be able to observe this? These questions are based upon false premises and misunderstanding of what barzakh actually means. The very meaning of barzakh is that the physical body is being observed, but the soul is experiencing something which has a connection to the body. What happens if the body starts to rot away? Remember, there are a few people whose bodies never rot. Firstly, Al-Anbiya, Prophet Al-Anbiya, The Prophets are alive in their graves praying. This means not praying only with the soul. It means praying with the physical body also. This is why the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed by the grave of Musa alayhi salam, and he said, وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ يُصَلِّي عِنْدَ الْكَثِيبِ الْأَحْمَرِ وَهُوَ قَائِمٌ يُصَلِّي The hadith states, مَرَّرْتُ, uh, مررت بِقَبْرِ مُوسَى عِنْدَ الْكَثِيبِ الْأَحْمَرِ I passed by the grave of Musa alayhi salam under a, a dune hill, a red dune hill. Underneath the grave, Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salatu was standing up and praying. This means the physical body as well as the soul the prophets have a very unique life in the graves. Some of the believers, their bodies do not rot. Meaning a shaheed, a martyr whose martyrdom is accepted. Outwardly, we may think many people are shaheed. But if someone excavates their grave, the body is rotting. Why is the body rotting? Because their martyrdom was not accepted. Because on the Day of Judgment, the three people who will be resurrected and will be burnt first, one is a scholar or a reciter of the Qur'an who did so out of ostentation. The second is a person who fought in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala outwardly and died, but in reality he did this out of ostentation. And the third is a person who gave wealth outwardly for the sake of Allah, but in reality for ostentation. These three, the hellfire shall be fueled with them first. So if the body is rotting, it means his martyrdom was not accepted. Otherwise, it is decisively mentioned in the Qur'an that they are alive. The third is a mu'adhin whose adhan has been accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not all, but some of them. So, this body now, when it starts to disintegrate, the, the rest of the Muslims or disbelievers, what occurs with the body? And some people ask the question, if the body is consumed by a wolf or a lion in the wild or predators in the wild or if the body is drowned and disintegrates, fragments into the sea, where does the punishment of the grave occur? The response is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves a part of the body which is referred to as ajabu dhamb, the base of the spine which is known as the coccyx bone. This bone remains. Does it mean the entire bone remains? No, a fragment, 
a, even a small fragment of the DNA of that bone remains. Wherever that fragment may go, it has a connection with the soul. So for instance, a person dies in the wilderness. His body fragments and disintegrates into the soil. When his body fragments and disintegrates into the soil, someone decides to make a brick from the soil. They make a brick and the brick is placed in a house. The person's remnants are found in that brick which still have a connection with the soul. Then, even if the building was demolished and the brick disintegrated into, into the soil again, the remnant will remain. Likewise, if a, if a predator eats that part of the body, excretes that part of the body, the part will disintegrate again into the soil, meaning everything will go back into the soil. <clears throat> then on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down ma'ul hayat, the water of life. This water of life is not um, like the water on earth. It enters every nook and cranny, every part of the earth. And it reaches the remnants of the coccyx bone, the ajab and from that the body is remade. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recreates the body. This is the response to those people who ask what happens to the, to the person in the grave once the body has fragmented. Of course the person experiences the viewing of Jannah and Jahannam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to reflect on some of those things which have been mentioned. But before I finish, I want to mention five things quickly regarding practical advice. Number one, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over everything in your life. Meaning nothing occurs, good or bad, except with the divine will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So always turn to Him. If you have this belief firmly in the heart, this will affect how you undertake your daily routines and daily dealings with other people and with yourself. This is the first thing. Like the story of Um Fadl, meaning the way the money and the risk would reach the man who would ask with, with the virtue, uh, by the virtue of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second is establish your salah. Establish your prayers in the congregation as much as possible. If you are not able to do all your five daily prayers in the masjid, pray your fajr, dawn prayer in the masjid and your isha prayer in the masjid. Why? Al-Imam Muhammad bin Yusuf al-Sanusi records a hadith which states that anyone who prays their fajr, dawn prayer, and Isha prayer in congregation for 40 days, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the angel to write down Al-Bara'atu min al-Nifaq. He is free from hypocrisy. So always pray your Fajr and your Isha in the masjid. If you cannot perform the other prayers and pray your Sunan and Nawafil alongside with your Fara'id. This is the second thing. Thirdly, <coughs> Make 
a portion of the Quran necessary upon yourself that you recite every day. Someone may say, how can we recite one juz of the Quran daily? This is impossible. This is what people say, unfortunately. Some of the mashayikh, our scholars would say that anyone who does not finish the Quran every 30 days, he is considered as someone who has abandoned the Quran. So what to do? When you pray your Fajr prayer, recite the Quran for 15 minutes. And when you finish your Isha prayer, recite the Quran for 15 minutes. 15 in the morning and 15 in the evening, in half an hour you should be able to finish a juz of the Quran. You know these Khatmul Quran that people have? I have observed that I've gone to Khatmul Quran, they give a juz out. And people who have memorized the Quran take longer to recite the Quran than those who can, who can barely recite the Quran correctly. Sometimes I sit there and they finish the Jews in 10 minutes. So these people who cannot even recite the Quran correctly are finishing the Jews in 10, 10 minutes. If they are, they are able to do this, then they should be able to finish one Jews daily. Meaning if you cut down your activity on the smartphone, the amount of time you spend on Facebook doing this, spend that time doing this, reciting the Quran. 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening. This is number three. Number four, make all your earnings halal. What is the effect of halal income? A man complained to Imam Abu Hanifa rahimallahu ta'ala. He said, I suffer from anxiety and stress. I have so much anxiety and stress and worries in my life. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa inquired regarding his source of income. Now being a faqih, a jurist, he said to him, these specific trades and acts that you are doing are impermissible. Cut them out from your income. His income went down from five dinar, five golden coins on a weekly basis or whatever daily basis to three dinar, meaning his income went down. A month later, he came back to Imam Abu Hanifa ta'ala and he said, I am very happy with my life. Everything is going correct. And he went away. People around Imam Abu Hanifa ta'ala were surprised. They said, how can everything be going correct when his income has gone down? Imam Abu Hanifa ta'ala said, the two additional dinar he was earning was from what we term as mal mashbuh doubtful wealth. When he removed that doubtful wealth, note not haram wealth, doubtful. When he removed the doubtful wealth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him happy with his halal wealth, meaning the barakah and blessings of halal income. So many people today want to earn quick money, but haram, and they have no satisfaction in their lives. They have no tum'anina, with the dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fifth point is to control the tongue regarding other Muslims. Meaning, avoid as much as possible backbiting, slandering, ghiba, namima, buhtan, making false stories regarding other Muslims. All these things with the tongue Avoid these. If you follow these five things, inshaAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us husnal khatima, inshaAllah. Good death. And those of us who have qada prayers to make.
How do you do qada prayers? Meaning if you follow this advice, you avoid haram, you avoid the haram, meaning most of the haram you can sum up as being haram to do with abandoning salah, haram to do with intoxicants, alcohol and drugs, haram to do with zina, anything within the rubric of zina, haram to do with the sins of the tongue, and haram to do with income. These are, this would sum up the five major things to do with haram. If you look at any sin that any person or yourself, meaning a person, should not look at the faults of others. Some of the pious scholars of the Salaf said that we knew people who were outwardly pious and they had no faults. They started to observe the faults of others and point out the faults of others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created those faults in them and removed the faults from the others. So these faults in ourselves, if you observe, they would fall into these five principles. Which five principles? Of abandoning salah, or to do with intoxicants, or to do with zina, or to do with sins of the tongue, or, or to do with sins of haram income. Meaning, if we remove these things from our lifestyle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enable us to change our lifestyles. One final point is that when you carry out this plan, who will you rely on? Of course the Quran says, Those who struggle in our ways, we guide them to our... Those who struggle in us, we guide them to our ways. We must struggle ourselves. But when we struggle, who do we rely upon? We rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is where dua comes in. Always supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he, that he give us the ability to overwhelm our shahwat, our desires and our ego in order, in order to stay within the correct Islamic belief and within the sharia and the parameters of the sharia. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he enable us to benefit from what I have said. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم وأتوب إليه